Hello, everybody. Dr. Joe Vitale here with another Hypnotic Gold audio moment. And this is going to be a terrific one. It's going to be very different from the last six years' worth of interviews. This is going to be an un-interview in many ways. I am going to be interviewing the author of a book called Unmarketing. We've got the Uncola. We now have Unmarketing. And the subtitle is Stop Marketing, Stop Marketing, Start Engaging. And the author is Scott Stratton. Scott Stratton is the president of Unmarketing, formerly a national sales training manager and a professor at the Sheridan College School of Business. He has been running his UN agency for eight years, which has become the place companies like Pepsi-Cola, Red Cross, Fidelity Investments uh, come to when they need help guiding their way through the viral social media and relationship marketing landscape. He now has over 76,000 people follow his daily rantings on Twitter and was voted one of the top influencers on the site with over 200 million users. Now, Scott's book, Unmarketing, Stop Marketing, Start Engaging, became a national bestseller before it was released and was also just named one of the top business books of the year by 1-800-CEO-READ. Scott, are you there? I am here. Thank you, Joe, for having me thanks. on. Yeah, thanks for making time for an uninterview to talk about unmarketing. <laughs> what a catchy uh, thing to be doing here. Oh, um, I, I got, it, it's at a point I have my son. My son's name is Unjunior. <laughs> <laughs> Your unson is Unjunior. All right. Exactly. This exactly. is uh, becoming an epidemic here. I see what your trademark <laughs> is and what your T-shirts are probably going to be saying. Bingo. Uh, I need to ask you, first of all, what, what is your definition of marketing? Before we say what's unmarketing, what's your definition of marketing? Well, really when it comes down to it, that <clears throat> marketing and unmarketing are still marketing something. And it's mm -hmm. a difference between old school marketing and, and kind of new school. The old marketing is really which I call hypocritical marketing, which mm. is marketing to people the way you hate to be marketed to. And it's actually why I started my company, Unmarketing, was uh, I realized how hypocritical we were being. And I was sitting in my friend's office. He's a sales rep for a company. And I, at the time, was also a sales training manager for another company. And he got a phone call and interrupted our conversation. And it was somebody just doing the cold call, you know, trying to solicit business through the phone. And he berated the guy on the phone mm. and said, you know, you get a life, get a real job, and all, you know, in, insert words here. Mm. He was much more colorful. And he hung up the phone, and we kind of continued to talk for about five, ten minutes. And then he says to me, okay, Scott, you got to go. I have to do my calls for the day. <laughs> yes, and that's I'm, in your book. I remember the story. My, I just tilted my head sideways and looked mm. at him. I said, really? You, you, you just freaked out on a guy. And he goes, yeah, but I have a product people need. Mm. And that was the mentality was, look, it's like a – I don't like the it, – it, it kills me to hear this, the no-holds-barred – sales and marketing tactics. It doesn't matter who we tick off, who we interrupt. As long as we get 99 no's on the phone, as long as we get one yes, it's worth a while. And I say, I, I say to myself, it's not worth it. And, and there's better ways to do it because now there's new tools, new ways. Like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, I get it. Sometimes knocking on doors was the only way you could get in front of people. But it's mm. not that way anymore. And I, I think the old style is, is now the lazy style. This is very interesting. So when you're talking about this was valuable, the old school way of marketing was valuable at a different time. What you're, are you dismissing it now today? Are you saying we should not do cold calling altogether? Oh, yes, please. That should be my T-shirt right there, actually. 
is, is, is the I, I think that now there's people who like cold calls. There's people who are great at cold calls. I call them Satan. But you know they they, they there's people who wake up in the morning and say it's a great day to cold call. And mm. for those people, they won't like the book anyways. They don't like unmarketing anyways. And I'm perfectly fine with that. Yeah. I'm talking to the 99% of the population who feel physically ill when they think about the thought of cold calling. I know people who've thrown up before yeah. doing it because it feels so uncomfortable. If you're about to have a bodily function before doing something, it's probably not the right thing for you to do. There's a, 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 a Twitter post for you right there. That's <laughs> but it's pretty cool. What well, do you feel the same it's, way? It's authentic. It's authentic marketing yeah. versus forcing it down a funnel or two. Do you feel the same way about direct mail and the uh, what other people might call junk mail, sending out sales letters and so forth? Well, I, I, I do, and again, there's people who are great at it. There's copywriters and people who've made a, a, an art and a science out of it. And if you do it right and you do it well, it works. The problem is returns on direct mail are, are, are getting lower and lower and lower. Mm-hmm. Costs are going higher and higher and higher. And it's just we, we don't need to necessarily do it that way anymore. Before, we'd have to send out 10,000 postcards and hope for a 1% to 2% re, re, you know, response right, rate right. from it. And we get our ROI from it. Mm-hmm. But now we're so, we have so many choices. I don't know. Some people don't go to their mailboxes for weeks. Yeah, they become yeah. so digital and so community-based that those methods, they're, just, they're, they're dying, and people are trying to you know, increase returns where their costs are going up. And we don't have to do it that way anymore. And so that's where your book comes in. You're saying we don't have to do it that way. That's kind of a prima donna caveman approach in many ways. And you're specializing, from what I gather, in the viral, the social media, the relationship marketing, leveraging the Internet and all the bells and whistles and tools and techniques and all of that that go with it. Am I correct? Right, right. You can do you can do it offline and online, but online makes it so much more efficient, so much more semi-scalable mm. and easy to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm 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 a lazy guy. I like my couch. I like my home. <laughs> I like you know hanging out. I love Xbox. I love all these things, and I can do most of my <clears throat> quote marketing or unmarketing really from my couch. And now mm. now here's here's a little thing I want to add to it though. Your little asterisk to it that if you only do things online and you don't go out and go face to face and those type of things, I think you're losing out. I think online, especially social media, we default to just saying, look, we'll just stay behind the keyboard. We'll mm. tweet. We'll go on Facebook. But nothing in anything, not just sales and marketing, but relationships in general, nothing beats face-to-face. So that's why I think it's a combination. So you, you're about to go to a conference, let's say, next week. You're on Twitter. You talk to the people going to the conference for a week before, two weeks before. Then you talk to them at the conference, and then you talk to them afterwards, back online again. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good hybrid between the two. I don't want people to become kind of uh, social media lazy and just only stick online. Yeah, well, you're saying something interesting here, and I've got to call your bluff a little bit. Because you say you're lazy and you want to stay, lay on the couch and so forth, and at the same time you're doing Twitter, Facebook, and maybe some of the other social networking things that are going on. In my experience, that's a very time-consuming process. Yeah, it, it, it is. And I, I, there is a lot of – social media does not change the fact that relationships take time, mm-hmm. and nothing takes away the fact that things are work. You know, I've never talked to anybody, an entrepreneur, who successfully built a business and said, how was the journey? Not one of them ever said, easy. It was a piece of cake, you know. It, it is difficult. It is hard. And yeah, I'm I'm physically lazy, not digitally lazy. <laughs> I certainly I have carpal tunnel. I'm one of the first people ever to have carpal tunnel from Twitter. Uh, so I, I certainly um, there's a claim to fame for you. 
that, that's you know that's there, there's your class action lawsuit waiting to happen. But you know, <laughs> well, let's talk about Twitter for a minute here, sure. because Twitter confuses me. I know when I first went on Twitter, I thought, why in the world would I want to follow anybody? And I certainly don't want people following me. Right. And now, of course, I'm addicted to it, and I'm always <laughs> updating it. Uh, you've got a, a giant following. How, first of all, do you get a following? How do you build your list? Most people I look at and they got five followers or forty followers. If they're lucky and they brag, they got two thousand followers. How do you how do you build a list of followers on Twitter? Well, one one th- <clears throat> it's really important to me, <clears throat> and I know this is part of what your world as well is. is there's a there's a mindset to it. Mm-hmm. And when I first joined Twitter in April '08. Uh, my reaction to it was just like yours and just like the majority of people, which was, this is stupid. Yeah. Why would I use this? I don't want to know what Jeff had tuna for lunch. Yeah. It's going to change my day. It's just mundane details of other people's lives that I didn't really need in my life. And I kind of dabbled for eight months. And I got about I got, I got about 1,200 followers over eight months. And mm. um, January 1st, 09, I realized <clears throat> that if I believed that businesses were built on relationships, I had to make building them my business. And I went in and said, I'm going to live on Twitter for 30 days. Mm. Just, do, just live on it. But this is the point. It wasn't just dictating. It was having conversations. Mm. And for 30 days, I tweeted 7,000 times. <laughs> and I went from 1,200 followers to 10,000 followers. Mm. This, is, this is pre-Justin Bieber days on Twitter and pre-Jonas Brothers and mm-hmm. Ashton Kutcher and everything else. It was in its infancy. And I really realized that it was all conversations. It's, it's not, Twitter doesn't fix anything or make it better. Facebook doesn't do it. It just amplifies things. And if you, cause if you, if you hate people, if you don't want to talk to people, it's a bad place for you. you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't work for everybody. But I realized that uh, if you look at my 10,000 tweets, uh, sorry, 7,000 tweets that month, I've tweeted over 65,000 tweet times now. Hmm. If you go to, uh, there's a site, a free site called tweetstats.com, and it'll break down your ratio of tweets. And if you look at mine, you can go and look at mine, 75% of my tweets are replies. Interesting. So uh, are they replies to people direct tweeting you, or you, you corresponded with them? And so, Tell me how that works, because I don't quite picture this. There's so Twitter going on. You're somehow having a conversation. How are you beginning that conversation? Well, right now, them? for me, um, at this point where I'm at right now, I've got 77,000 followers, is that mm-hmm. I don't have to start a lot of conversations now. Mm. People will be tweeting at me. So every day I'll wake up, which is, by the way, the coolest thing in the world to me, being a 2.0 type of author, that you can wake up in the morning and you can read people commenting passively about your book. Yeah. And I can hop on there and say, thanks so much. You know what? What chapter did you like the best? And mm-hmm. that's how I can start the conversation. Um, or I'll do a general tweet out there about something. Uh, like I just got back from Disney World, and I just we uh, was, was with Un Junior, and we took a picture of the <clears throat> Mickey Mouse waffle. And I said, you know, is this, anybody else is this your favorite food? And that's how the conversation starts. Now, back in the day, you know, two years ago, um, I had to be the one at directly creating conversations with people versus mm-hmm. just putting a statement out there. And that's one of the biggest Twitter's biggest downfall is when you don't have a following. When you say something like saying, "Hey, how is everybody doing today?" Nobody answers you. Right. And you feel like you're all alone. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah. You have to give it time. So when you first start, when you first try to gain traction, you need to be the one initiating conversations directly with other people, and then the momentum can take over. What is your Twitter handle, just so in case people want to start following you over there? It's uh, simply unmarketing. Unmarketing. Yep. Okay. And your website is unmarketing, isn't it? It is. Everything's unmarketing. Yeah. Unmarketing.com. All right. And unmarketing is you. Okay, so you can engage in conversation. Well, this always leads to the people listening to these calls that I do, these interviews. In general, are online entrepreneurs. 
And so they're looking at the bottom line, and they're going, okay, it's fun. Let's go and have fun on Twitter, and we can have conversation. But how do I turn that into actual dollars? How do you create sales out of Twitter? What have you found worked, and or did you find it to work? Right. Well, that's and here, that's, there's your magical uh, line down the middle of a battle when it comes mm-hmm. to social media is this ROI question. And mm-hmm. I've always said every time you ask for, about ROI on Twitter, a unicorn dies somewhere and uh, and a kitten as well because oh, what, what happens is because what happens is um take it take away twitter it's really difficult if not impossible to put a hard roi on conversations in general mm-hmm. right we don't go into a networking event and start pointing out roi to each person standing there and choose who we talk to necessarily mm. so twitter is about the warming conversation now i can tell you I've got an ROI, that I've got a positive ROI, that I have financially profited greatly from Twitter. Mm-hmm. But here's the key here. I've not only profited financially, but intellectually, emotionally, and, and, and socially as well. So people mm. say to me, and they say, look, I don't need any more friends. I had a guy once lived at me at an event. He came up to me, and he was spitting mad, like literally oh. spitting, like he hit me right in the retina. And, wow. he, and he said, I don't want to be on this stupid Twitter. I don't need any more friends. So my first thought was, well, you sound such like such a peach, I wonder why. You know, why, yeah. why do I want more friends with you? But yeah. I realized, I looked at him and said, I don't need more friends either. Like for me, I'm an experted guy. Usually you're done creating new friends by the time you're 20. Um, I've just upgraded my friends. You know, now mm. I've got people in contact, and it creates relationships. Now here's the thing. If I went on there and said, I need to start making money and tweeting my, my, an e-book link out or my Amazon page or my products or my services, nothing would have happened. And I would have left and, and nothing would have went, went through it. But people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Mm-hmm. And what are you doing to increase the number of people you know, the number of people who like you, and the, the deepness of people trust you? And through conversation, through relating with people, that's what happens. So Twitter creates the passive conversation. And that's what people don't understand, especially um, um, people, us in online. I've been you know, in internet marketing and online since 94, 95, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I get it. I understand we're... We're great at analytics. We're great at looking at, you know, breakdowns of, of, of things through AdSense or something else that makes us money. But at the end of the day, I'm getting to know more people. And when people know more about you and know you exist, there's opportunities for that. Now, if you're again, if you're a jerk or you're yeah. terrible at what you do, yeah. Twitter won't help you. If you just all, if all you do is, is sell a rebranded cruddy ebook that everybody else sells, you're not gonna, Twitter's not going to help you very much. Mm. But if you're actually believe in genuine connections with people, that's a huge, huge mental shift for people because companies actually judge social media harder than they do other things. You know, the, the average return on an ad campaign is 1% to 3%. The average return on an advertising campaign is 1% to 3%. So if, you want to, if I want to challenge somebody and say, look, if you have to get a 3% return on your social media activities in a year, that means if you paid somebody $50,000 a year to run social media, they'd have to pull in what? $1,000 in a year for you through social mm-hmm. media, that's easily attainable. Mm-hmm. You can do these things, but it's connections. It's networking. And, and here's my biggest point. If I walked into a room of skeptics, of Internet or marketers, of entrepreneurs, of CEOs, of anything, five years ago, and I stood in front of them, I said, ladies and gentlemen, I have, gotten, I, have, I have created a tool that you can listen to your market's passive conversation, meaning directly not at you, but with their peers, which is the most trusted, valuable, and honest conversation there is. I've got, to, I've got to tap into this conversation. You can listen to it. You can monitor it. You can listen to your competitors, and you can jump in at any time and talk to them as well. Mm-hmm. Each one of the people in that room would pay me $50,000 a month to access this tool. But now that it's free, yeah. people want to question what the ROI is. 
this is why I lose sleep, Joe. This is why I, I stay awake at night, is because the people have this mentality that if I gave you this tool before, or maybe if you paid for it, it might seem more valuable. Right. Because it's not just sales and marketing. It's customer service. It's human resources. It's research. It's R&D. It's everything. Hmm. What are your favorite Twitter posts, or what's your advice on writing Twitter posts? If people are getting excited and go, okay, I have to, I'm going to create relationships through my Twitter here, uh, and they have 140 characters to do it, which I, I love the little limitation there because it forces right. you to think. But right. what are some examples or what are some tips to make those Twitter posts worth reading and maybe more importantly worth retweeting? Right, and the retweet is, 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 is key to building yeah. and growing your following. And yeah. The biggest part here is that when I got on there, you know, I said 75% of my tweets were conversations yeah. and replies. Um, but here's the key is replies build relationships. Retweets build followings. But the more relationships you've had, the more people will retweet you because they know you. And so what happens is I made it when I was that, that January where I lived on Twitter, I mm -hmm. made it my goal, my job every day was to write three to five standalone tweets that I thought were, were great enough to be retweeted. So what that meant was I was going to write tweets that were going to be under 120 characters, not 140, because you wanted to leave some space. Yeah, for space for them to mark retweet, retweet right. or to comment. Right. People, people always, and when they, when they add their own comment, it always means more to their following when they're yeah. making that a comment. Uh -huh. okay. It was under 100. So literally, I would literally write them down each day. What could I say today? And it was just these nuggets. It was either funny or it was helpful within my world. And since my world's on, you know, marketing, I could talk about Twitter. And Twitter tips obviously you know, spread really well within oh, Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, but then again, my, my most retweeted thing in the history of ever, I've been on there was, I don't think I can quit Facebook today because where else would I talk to people from high school I never liked? <laughs> and it got caught on to Twitter's front page because it was also, it was, it was called Quit Facebook Day. It was a big failed event that happened online, and that's when I tweeted it. So it got retweeted like 2,000 times. Wow. And, uh, um, but for me, you know, I, I, uh, I just think every day, what can I say and what can get out there? But one of the great things in tools is that you can click on Twitter.com, you can click your profile and you can click the number retweets and see how many times something of yours has been retweeted. Mm. And you can see what sticks with people and what works for people. So I have certain ones that I'll do like daily reminders. And I can do the same tweet and people, people like it as long as they call it a daily reminder or something. It works. It's just little things that pass along. You know, that mm -hmm. um, I have a line, you know, and I say, if you are your authentic self, you have no competition. And mm. those things really work. And, um, so uh, I, again, I hear that there's some humor involved. I hear some advice involved. I hear right. some... Uh, memorable quotes or nuggets of wisdom involved. Are these all signs of good tw Twitters? There's good tweets? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Heck, they could probably quote you once a day, mm -hmm. and people would spread it. That's the thing is people will spread, if you quote other people, those will also kind of get spread around. But you've got to be careful because there's some people out there that will only quote, sorry, tweet quotes of other people. It's like you're like the middleman. Mm. And eventually people will grow, grow tired of it. So make sure you have your own content, too, and... Um, well, that raises the question, how do you feel about the automations that are out there? I mean, there's automations that will say, build your Twitter followers, pay us so much money, and they will automatically do it. And then there's other software programs that says, we will write your Twitter for you. We, we're a tweet generator. We will send out quotes or recipes or jokes or whatever. What, what's your feeling on these automated services? And i do not even aware of all of them, but those are a couple categories. Well, if, if this was a video call, you'd seem to be breaking out in hives right now. <laughs> and you see me kind of bundled up in the corner in the fetal position because wow. uh, Twitter automation is what will kill social media and mm. will kill your experience in social media. That 
trying to have presence without being present is a bad call, and trying to automate authenticity is a bad move. You'd never send a mannequin to a networking event. You'd never show up with your, with your logo and say, we're here, and then run out the door. Mm-hmm. Just have somebody pose there, stand there. It's about connection. And when you automate your feeds or you try to build these followers, and I know how people do it. I know how companies do it. And that was the, the biggest problem is that people think it's you and think it's you talking. And when they find out it's not, it's, they feel betrayed. And it's a bad way to do it. It's not about numbers. I can, I can, I know ways to get 5,000 followers in, the, in, in 60 days, and you can automate it and, uh, you know, delegate it offshore, do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But the follower number really doesn't matter. It's how many people listen and talk with you. It's the engagement level. This goes back to not just Twitter or not just Facebook fans and everything else. It's not the number of likes or ads or anything else. It's not the number of subscribers you have. It's the number of ones who actually listen to you. It's the engagement of your list, whatever platform that is, not the size of the list. And how do you post when you're doing those several a day and you spend 30 days really doing this? Are you doing it from a phone? Are you actually going to your computer? Or have you found some other way to Twitter your post in? Yeah, mine's uh, mine's mainly on my BlackBerry. Um, okay. I do it I do it on the fly. You know, if I'm in line somewhere or um, if I have the laptop open, you know, I'll do it from there. And when you go to tweetstats.com, it'll show exactly how um, the ratio of you know how I tweeted and then how other people tweet as well. But for me, it's it's it has to turn into a habit, mm. and you won't you won't really get Twitter until you like you said you know you, you first didn't get it and then you get addicted to it. Right. It turns into your community, and I want to check into my community. And I wake and here's the sad part: I wake up in the morning, I grab my BlackBerry, and I check Twitter. Yeah. From bed, I, I'm horizontally tweeting. You know, but that's, it's, it's my it's my network, it's my mm. community, and I rely on that community. Being an entrepreneur is a very isolating thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, when you lead the ship, there's nobody else standing with you. And I actually joined Twitter not to get ROI, not to get sales, but to find my water cooler, mm. to find other colleagues that I could bounce ideas off of. I could, if I'm having a bad day and saying, you know what, sometimes it's really tough doing this. But there's people that can stand there and go, yeah, I get you, man, and just kind of give you a high five, a pat on the back, or a fist bump to say, yeah. I'm, I'm here too. I found, and I have never, and I, again, I've been online since 94, I have never found a community that is smarter, funnier, more supportive business owners than I have on Twitter. And wow. that's what I love about it. And I've been, I, I've been like, I'm, I'm sure like you, I've been doing social media before they called it that. Mm-hmm. We, used to, we used to just call it talking. Yeah. You know, when we talk online, I used to do IRC and message boards and everything else, and I've yeah. never found a stronger community. I've never right. found one ever. And that's, I don't have stock in Twitter. I don't care if people who are listening right now join Twitter. It doesn't, I don't get anything out of the benefit of the game of it. I simply love it. I'm a huge fanboy because I've met some of the greatest people in the world. I just returned last night, maybe 10 hours ago, hmm. being a junior, just returned from Disney World, that we were on the inaugural sailing of the new Disney Dream ship, and we spent hmm. the week in Disney and on the ship all because of Twitter, all taken care of by Disney. If you want ROI, you can use that as one of the things. Well, wait a minute. Explain that. How, how did that all get taken care of by Twitter? Well, so what happens is tw- through Twitter, we start talking to people in Toronto. And then mm-hmm. what happens is I ended up um, talking to somebody who runs uh, a blog called yummymummyclub.ca, which is a mom blogging community. And they, I started getting to know the owner, Erica. And she said, you know, I said, I would love to write a dad blog. And she says, why don't you write one for us? And that's why I started Undaddy. Really? And, yeah. And so I started writing the blog for that. I started tweeting. Next thing you know, um, people at Disney Canada PR um, started reading the blog as well, and I got a good following. The next thing I know, I had lunch with the Disney people. We got along really well. And then they have media. You know, any big company has media, you know, 
whether it's outings or big functions. And last year, this is a year ago, they invited us down to Disney World because I have a dad blog. They want your reach. They want your audience. Mm. So even if I didn't get directly anything from my audience, I have a platform, and I have a large platform. Yeah. And companies want to leverage that. So last year we went to Disney and went for a week and stayed at the property, and it was great. And this year we went on the, their inaugural sailing because of, again, talking to people on Twitter and, and the blog. It all cre- Again, it's relationships. People at Disney, people at any corporation want to do business with people, not only who have platforms, but people they like and they want to get along with and they actually mm-hmm. think are, are good people. And now I'm friends with the people, not just because they have, they're at Disney. I'm friends because they're good people. And that's how it worked for me. And that's all started on Twitter. Yes. That's 100%. amazing. Now, your book it was a bestseller before it was actually released. Unmarketing yeah. was a bestseller before it was yeah. actually in print, I guess. Did you leverage Twitter? Did you uh, send out some kind of tweets about it? And if so, how did you do it so it wasn't a direct go buy my book today type of message? So Twitter is um, your exact example of uh, everything to do with the book is, is I can really base on Twitter is that I built my platform on Twitter. Now, here's the thing. I didn't launch my blog until I had 25,000 followers on Twitter. So I was like nine years late to the blog party. But I wanted to have a platform first to send people from. So I built a blog, and little do I know, one of the editors at Wiley was was Shannon, was was reading and watching. And, Mm. you know, publishers, just like the music industry and the publishing industry and everything else, they want people with platforms that have audiences built in. And uh, so I got a phone call in November in uh, 09, and it was Shannon at Wiley. uh, And she says, you know, why haven't you written a book yet? And I said, why haven't you called me yet? And she said, touche. And we started talking. And we realized that, you know, I had a platform that people were really resonating with. And how I sold the book. And here's the, here's the best part. I created um, an unbook tour. And I went to 30 cities in the fall. You I physically went to those? What's that? You physically went to 30 cities? I physically went to 30 cities. But here's how it worked. Okay. I booked it all through Twitter. Mm. It was all grassroots. Not a penny out of my pocket. Not a penny out of the publisher's pocket, I yeah. put a tweet out there and simply said, who wants me to come to their city for a, an unbooked tour stop? And here's the link to my blog page about it. And I simply said, get the pre-order at least 100 books before the book is launched. Mm. And put me up and fly me down. Now, a lot of authors will go on tour and lose money. You know, it'll be yeah. out of their own pocket. You know, you, you and I both know that most authors, you know, were not right. yet backing from a publisher because it's, it's a money-losing thing mm-hmm. for them. I, I just... I see, you see somebody sitting at a bookstore, lonely at the author's hunting table, and just kind of looking at you with a sad look. And you, you do the pity purchase of their book because you feel bad for them. Mm. And my other rule on the book tour was no bookstores. I refused to go sit in the bookstore. I wanted oh, to go and speak. I wanted to go engage. I wrote a book about engaging. I wanted to go engage. And 30, well, 50 cities initially put their hand up, and 30 actually followed through, purchased the books before it launched. So it actually pushed through over 3,000 pre-orders on a grassroots level. And I went to 30, literally I went to, from Omaha to Vegas to Hartford and it was uh, to Edmonton and Vancouver. It was all grassroots. Um, everybody there, um, uh, you know, stepped up to the plate. It blew my mind that the number of people would step up. And you know why they stepped up? is because each city had somebody there that I had met through Twitter. Mm. I'd talked to and I'd gotten to know. And they took, most of them took their personal credit card and bought the books and the mm. flight, and then found sponsors because they trusted it would be great. It's unheard of to be able to do Wow. That. So this was, uh, just to, so I can confirm, this was an untested idea because it sounded like you weren't sure or didn't know that it would actually work. No idea. 
And you just got inspired and you threw it on Twitter and waited for something to happen or not happen. I did. And what happens was 10 cities booked. And I'd go back on Twitter and saying, hey, here's the 10 cities so far. What about you? And people were like, well, how did Salt Lake City get a stop? And we didn't. Wait a second. And then they start (laughs) rallying around. They start going. And and here's the funny part. And here's about the difference in mentalities. I had another author who came out with a marketing book the same time mine was coming out. Mm -hmm. And he wrote to me in an email and said, why are you doing this tour? You know, it's only 100 books a stop. Why are you going to kill yourself going around to all these cities? Mm -hmm. And I wrote him back and I said, I don't want people to buy the book. I want them to consume it. I want them to read it. Because mm-hmm. I have like 15 books on my shelf that I haven't read, Joe, that I, I think I should, but mm-hmm. I'm never going to get to because they're just on a pile. I wanted to go to these people's cities and get them so jacked up about our marketing that they'd go home, they'd, they'd go into their car in the parking lot and start reading it. Wow. That's how excited they were. And that's what I did. And it's turned into exponential sales of the book. I didn't want the one sale of that one person there. I wanted the 10 sales of the 10 people they were going to tell afterwards because they read it. And where, what kind of places did you go since you said you didn't want to do bookstores? Were they coffee shops or what? It was, you know what, Matt? It was amazing. It was everything and anything. I spoke in, uh, in Nashville. I spoke in a loft studio space. Wow. And 60 of us pretty much sat on stools and on the floor and just had a conversation. I spoke in uh, Victoria, B.C. It's an island off, off of British Columbia that had 470 people that um, turned into an all-day event. They called it Social Media Camp. I spoke at a car dealership in Edmonton with 150 people. My word. Uh, like, you, you, you pick, man, pick it. I spoke in the Detroit Public Library, you know, like 200 years old, beautiful, beautiful uh, library. So uh, um, here's another book. you got Twitter Travels, bingo, how, I, how I Made My Book a Bestseller with One Twitter and 30 Stops. And, and 30 Cities. There's your 30 chapters. I, can, I have stories for each city. Yeah, there's I, your 30 chapters. I actually, I'm thinking... The comedian Dennis Leary uh, Twitter yeah. something every day, and after, I don't know, months of doing that, he woke up one day and said, wait a minute, I can put all my tweets into a book, and that ended up being his next book. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. I spoke in St. Louis at, um, uh, at the, uh, the Rainbow Room, which is the, um, uh, it's called the Duck Bar, I think it was, and um, what's the guy, who's the guy who does the duck walk with the guitar? Um, it's lost my mind now. Oh, uh, Chuck Berry? Chuck Berry. It's his yeah. club. He still plays there. Oh. I stood on the I stood on the stage that Chuck Berry plays on every month, and wow. I did my, my my talk. How ridiculous is that? That this would never happen. Cool. I love it. I, uh, uh, this is inspiring, Scott. You're, you're giving me new perspective on what you can do with Twitter and and some experiences and what's been done with Twitter. And you know, and, you have to, and, and here's the key here, Joe. It's yeah. it's about community. Yeah. And it's the community that made that happen for me. And if I, I didn't have people who have my back mm. and who realized that, that would never have happened. And I, you know what I see? Here's the problem. I see people saying, oh, Scott did it. And they'll go on Twitter and say, who wants me to stop their city on a book tour? And nobody replies yeah. because they haven't put their time into it. They have not created and invested any social currency. They haven't given their time and their knowledge and their energy yet. They just want to take, take, take. It doesn't right. work that way. Yeah. Well, this spring we've been talking a lot about Twitter, and I don't, I don't want to lose you before we get a chance to talk about Facebook and sure. uh, the one called Link, Link it? LinkedIn. LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, what's your take on Facebook? Are you just as active on Facebook? Um, I'm so I'm I'm my whole world's about platforms. So I yeah. built one, and I take six months to grow it. So I built Twitter, then I built the blog, and then I built um, LinkedIn, Foursquare, and now I'm building my Facebook group, which is. Same thing as on marketing on Facebook. But mm-hmm. my issue with Facebook, I have uh, quite a few issues with it. Now, again, it's half a billion people. 
you know, uh, almost 200 million of those accessed via mobile. There's huge implications in communities within Facebook. The problem with Facebook is it's, uh, it's our people who you already know. And yeah. it, it, it has a barrier to entry. There's, there's gatekeepers. You know, there's accept me as a friend or approve me. And mm-hmm. um, it's so overwhelming, the number of things there, that um, it's really hard to gain traction on it. And that's why I think if you're going to join, if you're going to start, you know, if you want to include a social media plan in your, for your company and your, your site or your business, trying to be everywhere at once is a bad call. And you, cause you can't grow them all at once. You, you, can't, you go on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and blog and YouTube and everything else. You're just going to spread yourself too thin. That's why I picked Twitter to grow because it was the lowest barrier to engagement. And now I'm wearing Facebook because I have – but what am I doing? I'm on Twitter saying, by the way, over at my Facebook group, we're talking about this right now. Come on over. Right, so it's you know it's there, and there's something to it. But again, it's so um, I don't like what Facebook does a lot of times. They just mm-hmm. they just created the new Facebook groups, and that's where anybody can add you to a group, and you can all start talking to each other. But you have to opt out of every single group, or you'll get emails of every post and every comment. Yeah, and I I don't want that. Like I got back from Disney, and I have 73 emails from one group I got added to, and I couldn't remove myself by a mobile. Hmm. And pissing off your marketplace is not a great way to build a marketplace. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah. I, don't, I, don't, well, I don't like it. What about LinkedIn? Are you active on LinkedIn? In fact, another one comes up. I have thousands and thousands of contacts on LinkedIn, and I have never been able to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, you're, you're talking to a guy here who lives online, and I, I know LinkedIn. I know what it is. I know how it functions. LinkedIn's much better as a sniper approach to business. If you need to find the, the purchaser at IBM, then you can find them. But I don't do it that way. I build community. So I tried LinkedIn. I tried to build it. I, I want you to believe me. I tried. I went to groups. I created a group. But most of the groups on LinkedIn are, are, have a lot of what I call drive-by postings, which is people posting their own articles yeah. on a bunch of groups at once and never coming back yeah. just, for, just for the links that they can put in their posting, come back to my blog. And it's, a lot of, it's, it's really selfishly run. And I haven't got a lot of any connections on there, really, that I can't say I didn't get through Twitter. Okay. Else. So, well, let, let me ask you about email list and and emailing people directly. Do you still do that? I do. I I think uh, not. Yes, that social media is right now is, is the sexy topic. It's the big topic. Mm-hmm. Nothing beats an engaged email list to me still. Yeah. So so I've been again I've been running list type of stuff since the mid nineties. I still have a motivational list with one hundred twenty thousand people on it. Oh, excellent. Uh, um, uh, but now that was 300,000 people originally, and mm-hmm. I just beat it like a rented mule and just lost a bunch of people. I just pitched everything to them and uh, because I created these motivational movies, these viral videos, mm-hmm. um, but the list isn't strong. I have an unmarketing list now that I just started building now. I've got about 7,000 people on it, and they are 100 times more responsive and, and effective than the motivational list. Uh, so, again, it's not the size of that list. It's, and you know, you, it's, it's old hat for you that you've been online for so long. We understand that the gold is in the list, but yeah. it all depends on how engaged the list is. It's not about uh, necessarily about numbers. It's about you know, clicking through and seeing it and actually mm-hmm. having actions happen. How do people get on your unmarketing list? Um, you just go to unmarketing.com, and you'll see at the top of the very top of the screen it says "Sign up here for more rants and everything else," mm-hmm. and uh, you'll get and, a copy of it. Well, do you do do you bribe them in any way? Do you say "Sign up" and I'll give you something, or you just say "Sign yeah, up"? Well, if if you if you want to see an interesting way I do it, I have kind of a um, a niche site called buildyourfollowing.com. And if you buildyourfollowing.com. That's interesting. Yeah. So I, I what I did was I interviewed um, 45 speakers, coaches, and authors about what they do differently if they could go back and start their business again. 
mm-hmm. and I created an ebook for it. And uh, if you go to that site, it's a squeeze page. It's a simply video and a little form to sign up. And if you want the PDF, it's free. You just got to sign up. And you can see now. Here's the cool. If you want for your listeners here, here's your behind the curtain. Yeah, tell go me. there, and you can unsubscribe if you want anytime. So go there, sign up for the ebook, and you'll see the there's three videos in the series here of opting in. So you sign up for the video, you click, and as soon right then another video pops up of me requesting for you to go to your inbox right away to mm-hmm. make sure you can confirm. And the third video is me saying thank you, download it here, please refer anybody you want back to the front page instead of sending them a PDF because we'll have updates to it. That video series that, that you all can go check out um, increased my opt-in, my oh. confirmation opt-in rates up to about 85 to 90%. Really? Which back in the day meant nothing, but today, as you know, it's huge to get that Well, it sounds level. huge to me, and you think that's primarily because it's video and that's the big multimedia difference? Um, I don't know if it, I, I think it's more of the fact that it's a reminder, an immediate mm. reminder. That, now, the video is because it's, it's my platform that I work really well with, um, and it gets consistent. But if you're not good at video, an awkward confirmation video is not going to help you very much. It's yeah. more the reminder. I see the biggest fault I see, and I still love this. I, the, the, um, the only thing I do now outside of speak and book now is do what I call unaudits. We've, we've, we've closed down every other part of the business, and all I do is called unaudits. So I go and I audit people's sites and social media efforts. Oh, and really? Yeah, the, I love it. I just I, I do a video screencast and I walk through with a voiceover and start telling them all the things I think they should improve or they're doing well and what they can do differently. And the biggest downfall I found, and I'm being totally honest here, is their opt-in process. Uh-huh. That they have either they don't make it sexy enough to sign up, like you said, they don't you're not offering them a nugget or something to sign up yeah. and get a free report, but it's their confirmation where they drop the ball. Mm. And what happens is somebody signs up for an email, and most of the time we have to do this ironclad, you know, double opt-in type of thing. Yeah. When you click, you know, submit, they take it, they're taken to an automated page done by Constant Contact or AWeber or something that says thanks. Mm. And they get an email generically that may go into their trash automatically that says click here. Mm. And then when they sign up, they get something, maybe they get something, maybe, that says we'll get to you when we have our next edition of our newsletter, whatever. Mm-hmm. Come on. We've got a chance here to can people raise their hands. If you go to unmarketing.com right now and sign up, you'll get an email from me thanking you for signing up because I know our inbox space is, is precious. And can I ask what line of business you're in because it helps me tailor the newsletter. Every day mm. I get replies from people, every day, wow. telling me what, where, where they're from, what they do, their business. And most of the time the reply, to be honest with you, is, you know what, thanks for asking. Mm. I know this is automated, but really thanks for asking. Nobody ever asks. <laughs> And do you use AWeber or what I list do. service I use, do you I use, use? I use AWeber. Yeah, okay. Well, there's a couple of things in your book that I wanted to make sure I hit on that I thought were pretty interesting. That's all interesting. It's a fascinating and quick read. It's an unbook on, on marketing. Um, you talk about taking surveys of the list as a way to find out what's on their mind. And in one, page 120, you talk about using SurveyMonkey, and there's three particular questions you ask people that you think we should ask our list. Oh, we should, and I think that it's, it's, it's three words. If, if just businesses in general could ask their customers and their lists, the, the three words of, of stop, start, continue. Yeah. You can ask your list to say, what should I stop doing? What should we start doing? And what should we continue doing? It's a great way to get a, a, a feel for what you're doing right and wrong and a feel for the engagement of your list. Now, mind you, um, I don't like being asked surveys a lot when I go to sites or on newsletters. I don't answer them unless I'm giving an incentive. So, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, you go to a site, like I just went to ESPN, you know, I go there every day, and I went there um, yesterday, and it said, please fill out this survey for us. Hmm. Like, yeah, well, why? Why would I do that? You know, give me, give me, a, throw me a bone. 
And when I when I had the motivational, when I was using the motivational list a lot, I sent it a survey, and I was actually doing research for for a book I was trying to write. I wanted to find out how many times people worked through their lunch at the workplace. Yeah. And I sent it out to 110,000 people and said, here's a survey. I'll take you 30 seconds, uh, and I'll give away three $50 Amazon.com gift cards hmm. uh, to three random people. I got 11,000 replies. Wow. That's a great reply rate, great response rate. You know, for, for, for $50 Amazon, a chance. Yeah, a chance to win that. If you off, man, I'm telling you, if you offered an iPad, people will sell their mother. <laughs> Like, like people, they, will, they will do anything for you if you offer something like that. So it's amazing that. So to, to me, if your list or your customers are really highly you know, invested in you, so they know you, they'll do the stop, start, continue. Um, if they don't care about you, you know, if you just if you are a commodity and they don't really read your news they're not going to answer. But if you have a community, mm-hmm. they will. And give them so. Ask a great question and give them an incentive to answer. You know, value their time. It'll work. I love it. It's a great way to get the education about what they're uh, wanting you to change totally. or add. 100%. Love it. Well, in your book you talk about teleseminars, and most of us know what a teleseminar is, and we've done those in the past. But you also have something that is called a telesummit. Right. And I found that that was different, and I thought maybe you should talk about that a little bit because it might be something that other people haven't heard about. That's great. What you is know, a telesummit? Telesummits, um, sadly, are done really poorly most of the time, and I think mm. there's a potential for a lot of people to do them. Um, a telesummit is simply a series of teleseminars, uh, usually done on, based on a topic, and you bring in a bunch of experts. So let's say it was going to be social media. There's been some social media telesummits, and you, know, you get 20, um, quote, speakers that do their mm-hmm. thing. And, and here's how the back end works a lot of the time. Um, I don't run them. There's a lot of effort to them. Um, but I know, I'm sure people who actually you know, will do the work will make them really well. Um, you, you record them in advance. You do the calls, and you, you record them in advance. You then have everybody send it out to their lists, and everybody can get – again, this is only one way to do it, but mm-hmm. everybody can sign up. Anybody who wants to listen to the calls can sign up and get them for free, but you have to listen to them during the live time, so it's usually over a weekend. Yeah. You know, Scott's speaking at 1, uh, uh, Joe's speaking at 2. Mm-hmm. If you can't make those times, you don't want to sit on your phone for two days straight, you can order <clears throat> MP3s. Gotcha. You can order transcripts or CDs, and that's where the sell happens. So I, I actually like the style because you can give value without having to say pay first. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is they're they're usually kind of poorly done um, when it comes to um, uh, either the execution of them or the, the salesiness of them of of, mm-hmm. of, the, of the speaker. They think, well, this is my chance to be in front of my market, so I'm going to pitch, pitch, pitch. I think the best way to pitch is to teach. Yeah and to tell people uh, and to give them great information because then, you want, then they want to pursue more. Well, you talk about content and so forth quite a bit in the book, and you've got your blog. Uh, I'm just looking at the most recent entries here. From what I can gather, you don't post every day. No. Do, you, do, you, do you have a yeah, philosophy a about that or a rule of thumb? Oh, I do. i got opinions about everything. And, and for <laughs> me, posting frequency is a big uh, bone of contention in, in mm-hmm. my industry, at least, too, in blogging and social media. Um, you know, they say the more you post, the better it is for your, your blog and search yeah. rankings. <clears throat> and I think it's, it's full of horse poop. I think mm-hmm. that's, um, that nobody's ever read uh, a post and said, you know what, this is kind of lame, but it's really keyword rich. So I'm going to pass it on to all my audience. It doesn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. People spread awesome content. The most frequent you should blog is when you have something great to say. Mm. If, just because you post weekly does not make it good. People spread great.
great content, not frequent content. I've gone six weeks without blog posting a blog, but when mm-hmm. I do, it gets spread because people see it and they say, well, he's blogged today, so he, it has to be good because he's mm-hmm. got something to say. Mm-hmm. I, I refuse to mail it in. I refuse to mail content in. I think it's a, a disservice to our readers. And if, if you need it now, by, mind you, I am not a great example of it because that laziness thing kicks in again. And <laughs> I think I can post more frequently with awesome. You have to find the balance between quality posts and frequencies. But I don't think saying daily or weekly is the answer. I think it's much more important to create great content. I don't mean awesome as in perfect. I mean, you know when you've mailed it in. And you know when you've written filler. And you know when you've written a good post because it feels good. That's when you should post it. Write the filler all you want. Just don't publish it. Because search engines, it doesn't matter. You know how you get backlinks and crosslinks and inbound links is writing great stuff. Mm. Like if you look at my blog, and you can see it if you're on it. You can see the number of comments per post. Yeah, I it's average, a lot. I average 100 comments a post wow. because I have something to say. Mm. This is a blog that didn't exist a year and a half ago. Amazing. My first blog at 10,000 readers. One of my first posts at 260 comments because I say things. I take stands. I polarize, not artificially. I polarize because I believe it. But polarization is a wonderful tool to, to spread things in word of mouth as well. And people are scared, though. They're scared to be, you know, that's, there's going to be trolls or people who hate it or people who, who, who don't like it. And I watched an interview with J.K. Rowling, you know, uh, about yeah, a month ago. Yeah. And, and, of course, you know, her and I are about the same. She sold a few more Harry Potter books than, than marketing, but <laughs> right. um, she said a great line. They said, what, ha- what, what is your reaction? What do you say to people that hate what you've written because mm. they're so passionate about the subject? They don't like what you did to a character or something, and she looks at the camera and says, I love it. For people to love it, others have to loathe it. Ooh. And I just went, bingo. Wow. That's it. That, and, that's what my, and that's what the book for me, writing on marketing, I couldn't write it for everybody. I had to write it for the people who were passionate about the way I was talking. Mm. And I actually, you know, I get trolled. I, get people, hey, I have people who wrote blog posts on how ridiculously stupid the book is and how ridiculously stupid I am. And, mm. I, and I eat it for breakfast. It hurts. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like seeing it. But, you know, what? they're not getting pissed off. I'm not doing something right. Got it. Well, another thing that's in here that I want to make sure we, we touch on before you leave is on idea creation, which ties into the whole content thing as well. And you did mention about perfection, where people want to get things perfect before they post them. And we both know there's no such thing as perfection. But you do have in your in your gut this barometer that tells you, I've said what I have to say. It's ready to go ahead and share it. But what about for those people who don't know how to come up with content? They're sitting there. And in your chapter, you talk about the TV repair person. And right. there's some other examples. Could you just give us a, a couple tips, uh, something to think about in terms of how do we come up with ideas and create content quickly? Well, there's, there's a big thing, too, about being an expert, and people sometimes are hesitant, hesitant to call themselves experts. And there's a difference between calling yourself an expert in something and the expert in something. Mm. One is being, you know, mm. uh, open and, and honest, and one is being kind of a jerk. And uh, I, I think that once we get over that, creating content is, is just using that knowledge. And there's ways to do it where you, you, you pick a point, a pain point of your marketplace. So I use the example in the book of the TV repairman uh, or the person who, you know, I just bought a TV myself two months ago. I had no idea what to go look for, and which, you know, there's so many choices. I would love to have read a blog post from somebody in the local area talking about what to look for when buying a new TV, the top five tips when buying a new TV. Right, One, right. don't go for the extended warranty because these TVs now last ten times longer than the old ones. Two, um, here's the difference between LCD is good for this and uh, plasma is good for this. Oh, by the way, there's also, you know, the LED TVs, and here's what they mean. I would, that's what I would love. 
love. People eat that stuff up. Mm. Do a blog post, the top five, the top ten. If you're an accountant and your your marketplace is small business owners, write a post that says the top five ways that you can save, you know, or you can add twenty percent to your bottom line right now. Mm. Like you know, the the art of the headline, the art of the writing, and then it breaks it down easier for you that you can easily manage it. You don't have to write a thousand word, two thousand word blog post and something. Just write bullet points. People consume them, people love them, and then expand each bullet point. And that's how you can come up with content. And then you can use things, create a point, show me an example of it, and tell me how to implement it. So I know a lot of people are afraid that if they write some articles that nobody will actually buy from them. And you had a great line in here someplace in your book that if, you, if, if all you have is enough information for a couple articles, then you're really not the expert in that category. <laughs> If all you know can fit into a blog post, you don't know a lot. Yeah. yeah. And, and speakers get that way, too. You know, I'm not going to say everything on stage because then they won't need me. I'm like, man, if everything you got is 45 minutes, you've got to learn more. Yeah. You know, got more to do. It's not, it's, not, it's not only the information. Here's the difference, especially for service providers. It's not the information that, you know, that makes you valuable as a service provider. It's your interpretation and your application of the information to that mm. person's or business's needs. That's the difference. And that's why, for me, doing these unaudits, I know people will come and buy them, and I'm starting a blogging next week. Once a week, I'm going sh- to do a free one once a week and to show, and everybody can watch and go through the audit. People are saying, well, you're giving them away for free. How are you going to sell them? I said, because it's not specifically for, some, for your site. So if you want it for your site, you yeah. can pay for it and, and get it in private. Wow. And that's the difference. I'll give it all away because I know I'll give away the house, the home, and the farm because I know your farm's different than mine. <laughs> I love that mindset. Well, there's another thing in your book. It's on page 140 that just stood out for me, where you were talking about uh, what you, why you can't learn from millionaires. And there's this line that says, making money isn't a career. It's the result of good business. Exactly. And I loved it because I, I hear from people who think making money is their actual goal or career or vocation. And it's the result of what you're doing. And nothing, nothing more important to me than that line, because mm. this is where people get conned. This is where people get scammed, mm. is that they, they, they reach for the dollar. And I understand the dollar. I understand we have to make a living. But when you pursue the pursuit of wealth without consequence or effort, you're in trouble. That's mm. where the get-rich-quick scams come in. That's where the low-effort comes in, scams that it's not. You, you, you need to pursue this stuff because you're passionate about it, because you want to do it well, that you have something to give or have something to build. Yeah. And that way you will find there, there will be value in that, and that's how you get it. And for me, if I got on Twitter and said, I need to make money through Twitter, it, it would never have made it out of the gate. And my entire business, I'm not, and I'm not making this up, my entire business, all my speaking gigs now, uh, and all the entire book tour and the book itself, all was through Twitter, and not because I ever wanted or asked for it. Wow. That's, a, that's, a, that's probably a great place to end right there, because that says so much. Scott, I can't thank you enough. Your book is great. Unmarketing, stop marketing, start engaging. It's at uh, well, it's at all bookstores. It's of course at Amazon, and apparently they can get it from one eight hundred CEO read. And where would you like people to go? You want them to go to your blog, a different website, in place in particular? Sure. Anywhere, you know, wherever wherever their community is, I'm there. So it can be unmarketing.com. You want to come say hi and see the pure angry rants that's on there? Go over there or Twitter <laughs> and Facebook. It's all under the word unmarketing. And what would you, as a final thing, what would you like people to either do or think about as a takeaway 
as we go out of this call, what do you want them to do next or think about next? I, I want them to, to become the CRO of their company. I want them to be the chief relationship officer of their company mm. and realize that, that those, those building those things, and not a cheesy way, but in a business way, that building relationships can benefit your business. I love it. Scott, thank you very much. It's been a fascinating interview. I've been talking to Scott Stratton, author of Unmarketing. Go to unmarketing.com and go get his book. Joe Vitale, over and out. See you on another issue of Hypnotic Gold next month.